Let's pause and pray again. Father, we ask that your Holy Spirit would make your word powerful and effective in our lives for the glory of our Savior, Jesus. Amen. My goal this morning, with the Holy Spirit's help, is to make you hungry for Scripture. That's what I desire. I would love it if when we're all done here, each of us could leave this place with an increased appetite for God's Word. And the reason I I want that is because right now on Sunday mornings, we're in the middle of a series of sermons where we're talking about spiritual disciplines. Spiritual disciplines are practices that Christians will engage in on a regular basis to help themselves to stay close to God, to grow in their faith. And several of the key spiritual disciplines have to do with our personal intake of Scripture, our our personal interaction with the Bible. And so my prayer for this church, this is the prayer of our elders, the prayer of our deacons and deaconesses. We are praying that we will increasingly become a community of men and women who desperately hunger for God's Word. That's what we want to see happen. Now, Ashley just read for us a portion of Psalm 119, and looking at that passage and and starting there, I want to just make three points. First, I want to point out what the Bible claims to be, so what claims Scripture makes about itself, what the Bible claims to be. Then secondly, what the Bible promises to do for those who love it, for those who study it and put it into practice, what the Bible claims to be, what it promises to do, and then thirdly, how these things can happen in our life, how we can allow the Bible to give what it promises. So we'll start with the claims. What what claims does Scripture make about itself? Well, as I said, we're looking at part of Psalm 119. Psalm 119 is the longest chapter in the entire Bible. It's 176 verses. If you ever read it, every one of those verses, except for two or three, They talk about Scripture. The the whole psalm, it's basically one extended, long love song to God in which the psalmist is thanking God for the Bible, for Scripture. Now, throughout the psalm, and you see it in in this passage, the psalmist refers to Scripture using a variety of terms. He he refers to Scripture as statutes, as laws, as commands, as precepts, as words, different terms for Scripture. But if you look closely, you'll notice each one of those terms is preceded by the same personal pronoun. The psalmist says, Lord, Scripture is your word, verse 89, your laws, verse 91, your statutes, verse 95, your precepts, verse 94, your commands, verse 96. So the psalmist is saying to the Lord, and and, and this psalm is saying to us, he's saying, Lord, Scripture is your word. It claims to be the word of God. Now, um, this is consistent with what you read throughout the Bible. The Bible, listen, the Bible readily admits that it was written by human beings. In fact, parts of it will tell you exactly who was the person who wrote it. So the, the Bible readily admits it was written by humans, 
but it consistently claims to be the Word of God. That's the claim. It claims, it claims to be God's authoritative, reliable, unchanging, trustworthy, life-giving Word. 2 Timothy 3, verse 16 says, All Scripture is breathed out by God. Written by human beings, but in some mysterious sense, breathed out, inspired by God Himself. 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 20 and 21 says this, No prophecy of Scripture came about by the prophet's own interpretation of things. In other words, the people who wrote the Bible, they weren't just coming up with their own ideas. Peter says, No prophecy of Scripture came about by the prophet's own interpretation of things. For prophecy, he writes, never had its origin in the human will, but prophets, though human, spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. The Bible in the form that we have is a collection of 66 different books uh, written by at least 40 different individuals, uh, written in three different languages, written on three different continents, and ri written over a span of time that was more than a thousand years. It contains poetry, it contains legal code, it contains historic narrative, it contains personal correspondence and prophetic messages and songs and aphorisms, just all these different genres of literature, and yet consistently throughout, it claims to be God's Word. Now, I don't know if you believe that or not, but I'll tell you somebody who did believe that. Jesus. Jesus viewed Scripture as the very words of God Himself. If you read the Gospels, you'll see that, that Jesus frequently quoted from the Old Testament, and, and He quoted it as if he, he viewed it as the absolute binding authority on all issues, ethical and doctrinal. Sometimes the, the opponents of Christ would come to Him to argue over different things that they disagreed about, and Jesus, very often, He would, just, he would put an end to the, to the debate by saying three words. He would say, it is written, and then quote from Scripture. And in his mind, if it's written in Scripture, that ends the debate. Now, Jesus um, indicated that he believed that whatever the Bible predicted and whatever the Bible promised, you can be sure it will come to pass. Mark 14, verse 49, Jesus said, the Scriptures must be fulfilled. That was just the bedrock of his faith. Scripture will come true. Often he would refer to individuals from the Old Testament as historical figures, not characters from fiction, not mythical beings. He talked about them as men and women who actually lived in this world. And more than anything, if you, if you look at the way Jesus handled the Bible, Jesus treated the Bible as the words of God himself absolutely necessary for us to flourish as human beings. Mark 4, verse 4, Jesus said, It is written, people shall not live by bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. So Jesus believed what the Bible claims about itself. What does the Bible claim? It claims to be God's word. Now, second thought, what does the Bible Promise. What does Scripture promise to do for, for those who love it and delight in it and study it and learn it and, and obey what it says? Well, if you look at this passage, there are several things promised here. One, one is this. The Bible that Scripture promises 
to build strength and stability into people's lives. Those who open their, their hearts and lives to Scripture, the Bible says it will build strength and stability into them. Look with me at verse 92 and 93. Verse 92, the, the psalmist says this, If your law, Lord, had not been my delight, I would have perished in my affliction. Verse 93, I will never forget your precepts, for by them you have preserved my life. So the psalmist is saying, Lord, I never would have made it. I never would have made it through the hard times I, I was facing if, if it hadn't been for your word. Now, you'll often meet people who will say something very similar to that. I've, I've met people, for example, maybe you'll run into somebody who, who would say, you know, I never... I never would have made it through my divorce without my Bible. I just felt so worthless. When my, when my husband left me for someone else, I felt like the most unlovable person in the world. And, and that every morning I would open this book and again and again I would read there that my father loves me. My father loves me. My God will never stop loving me. I wouldn't have made it without that. Or maybe you'll meet someone else who will say to you, I don't... I don't think I would have made it through that long season of, of unemployment if it hadn't been for Scripture. I mean, I would wake up in the middle of the night just a panic attack. How am I going to pay the bills? And I, I couldn't sleep, so I'd go out to the living room and, and, and turn on the light, and I'd, and I'd open my Bible. And again and again, I would read stories of men and women in situations just as difficult as mine, and, and, and God came through for them. He never let them down. I just had this sense God would do that for me. I don't think I would have made it without this book. Or maybe someday you'll run into someone who'll say to you, you know, I, I don't think I, I ever would have made it through my own moral failure um, without Scripture. I just felt so ashamed of myself, what I had done, the hurt I brought on my family. I, I, I could not envision any future for myself, but then I'd, I'd hear people talking from Scripture on Sunday mornings, and I'd, I'd open the book myself, and again and again, this is what I would read. I am forgiven. I am forgiven. I am forgiven because the Son of God died for me. I wouldn't be here today without this book. That's, that's what the psalmist is saying. He's saying, if your law had not been my delight, I would have perished in my affliction. It, strength and stability. I wonder if you've ever known anybody, maybe your grandma was like this. Have you ever known anybody that their Bible just looks like they've been kicking it down the street? I mean, it just, they've read it so much, the cover's worn off, it's held by you know, tape on the binding, and the pages are falling out. Ever, ever see a Bible like that? Charles, Charles Spurgeon said, a Bible that's falling apart, a Bible that's falling apart usually belongs to someone who isn't, right? Why? Because... When you dig into Scripture, it builds into you what? Strength and stability. So that's one thing the Bible promises to do for us. A, a second is, uh, is this. The Bible promises if we will heed what it's saying, be willing to follow, the Bible promises to give us wisdom and direction for life. Look again at what the psalmist writes, starting at verse 98. He says, your commands are always with me, for they make me wiser than my enemies. 
Verse 99, I have more insight than all my teachers, for I meditate on your statutes. A hundred, I have more understanding than the elders, for I obey your precepts. 101, I have kept my feet from every evil path so that I might obey your word. Verse 102, I have not departed from your laws, for you yourself have taught me. And so what the psalmist is saying here, he's saying, Lord, I have wisdom beyond my years. I have, I have insight that I did not learn in any classroom. I have understanding that has protected me from pitfalls and dangers in life. Why do I have these things? He says, he says because I have God's word, because I have your truth. And so this is a promise the Bible makes to you. It will give you wisdom and discernment and knowledge. It will teach you. Now, somebody might ask, well, what, what does the Bible teach? Can I learn how to bake a cake here? Can I learn how to fix the brakes on my car? Can I, can I learn the, the, uh, the molecular structure of, the, of a living plant cell? No, listen, you, you, you can learn those things somewhere else. But there are things that you can only learn in the Bible. Like what? Well, the, the Westminster Shorter Catechism, question number three, asks this question. What do the Scriptures principally teach? This is the answer that's given. The Scriptures principally teach what we are to believe concerning God and what duty He requires of us. In other words, the Bible will teach you who God is and how God wants you to live in His world. A Christian author named J.I. Packer wrote this, he said, if I were the devil, one of my first aims would be to stop folk from digging into their Bibles. I wonder, wonder why. Well, I think it's this, because the devil does not want you to know who God is, his holiness, his greatness, his love. He doesn't want you to know that. He doesn't want you to know how God would like you to live for your flourishing and his glory. But you know what? It doesn't really matter what the devil wants if you're willing to open this book. You can shut his mouth when you open this book, and you can learn these things. So Scripture promises, first, strength and stability. Scripture promises, we see here, wisdom and direction. And one more thing, Scripture promises joy, to give us joy. Verse 103, the psalmist writes this, he says, how Sweet, how sweet are your words to my taste, sweeter than honey to my mouth. So what he's saying to the Lord, he's saying, Lord, I, I, I don't only read the Bible because your Bible helps me through hard times. I mean, it's true it does that, but that's not the only reason I read it. And he's saying, Lord, I don't only read your word because it gives me wisdom and direction for life. And it's true it does that, but I, that's not the only reason I read it. He's saying, Lord, I read your word because it gives me joy. It's sweet. It's like honey to me. I wonder if, if the Bible has ever given joy to you. If you've ever met somebody who would say that about themselves. Now, why, why, why does the Bible give us joy? Because in Scripture, we don't merely receive information about God. In, in Scripture, we meet God himself. It might sound so weird to you. I don't mind if you think I'm crazy. I've, but I've experienced this. Listen, in some, um, 
mysterious way, the same Holy Spirit who inspired the Scriptures when they were written illumines the Scriptures when they're read. And He allows us not just to learn about God here, but to feel like we're getting to know Him. Um, you see that in verse 102. Can you imagine the psalmist wrote this? He said this, I have not departed from your laws. He says, for you yourself have taught me. That's intriguing. He, he doesn't say, Lord, your book taught me. He says, no. He says, Lord, you taught me. I've, I've met with you personally in, in, in the pages of your book. One author explained this in a way far better than I can. He said this, when we speak a word, it rushes out of our mouths and vanishes. But when God speaks a word, His very presence is carried along with it. God is never separated from His word. God's word is saturated and penetrated by God Himself, so much so that in Scripture you get a word that is a presence. Some of you know what I mean. You meet God there. You find His presence in His, in his book. And what is it Psalm 16 says? Lord, in your presence there is fullness of what? Of joy. So this is what the Bible claims to be. It claims to be God's word. This is what the Bible promises to those who will delight in it and study it. It promises strength and stability. It promises wisdom and direction. And it, it, it promises the, the joy of getting to know God himself. Now my third point. How could we ever receive that, have it happen to us? I mean, for example, how, how can I know uh, with any degree of confidence whether or not the Bible really is the Word of God? I mean, there are other books that claim to be God's Word, uh, the Book of Mormon, the Koran. How, how, how can I know that the Bible is God's Word? And how could I ever receive what the Bible promises and know that it can make me stronger and give me wisdom and fill me with joy? I mean, how, how in the world would I ever know that? This is a jar of honey. Pe people have told me that honey is sweet. In fact, I grew up in a family where from the time I was little, my mom and dad always told me, honey is sweet. And I understand that for hundreds of years, men and women around the world have testified the same thing. They talk about the sweetness of honey. But I don't know. I mean, I'm holding it in my hand right now, and I, I, I'll be honest, I am not experiencing any sweetness. Looking at it with my eyes, I don't sense sweetness. I could touch it to my head. I could rub it on my belly. It's not sweet. How, how would I ever know if honey is what it claims to be? How would I ever know if it could deliver everything that people tell me it promises to deliver? That's sweetness. baby. That's sweet. I need a cup of coffee right now. That is so sweet. 
Now, you, you, you get my point. I, I hope you do. How would you ever have confidence, personal confidence, that, that, that this book is the Word of God? How would you ever see it building strength and stability and, 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 and giving wisdom and discernment and, and filling your life with joy? You, that would never, ever happen unless what? Unless you start to taste it. You begin to get it into yourself. The, uh, the, the writers of the Westminster Confession of Faith, hundreds of years ago, they, they understood this. They, they said, listen, how do we know the Bible is God's word? They said there are a number of things people could say that, that might give some credence to that thought. They could talk about, uh, for example, the consistency of the message throughout it or the loftiness of, of the language or the, the efficacy of, of, of the doctrine. They could say those things. But they said none of those, none of those in themselves will ever, ever make the reality of the word real to you. And they said this, our full persuasion and assurance of the infallible truth and divine authority of Scripture is from the inward work of the Holy Spirit, bearing witness by and with the word in our hearts. In other words, they, they said, if you, want to, if you want to have that kind of confidence that this is God's word and see it change your life, you've got to get it into you so the Holy Spirit can begin to use it. And that's where spiritual disciplines come in. That's what we're talking about right now. There, there are a number of habitual practices that Christians employ in their life just on an ongoing basis that give, them, give the word, you would say, access to their life. One you're doing right now, and that is gathering regularly with God's people to hear a brother or sister read the word uh, publicly for you and then hear a preacher preach its truths to you. That, that's one way. Hearing is an important way. Not, another discipline is the discipline of reading. Do you do that? You can go home and take your Bible or take your phone or all the different platforms, and, and, and you can actually read the words of Scripture on a, on a regular basis, right? Another would be to study the word. You might, for example, join a study group, a community group, where you, you get to dig into the word with others and kind of talk about. I, I've often, in community groups, some, some brother or sister will have an insight into a text that I never would have thought of. And by studying it in community with them, it, it penetrates deeper in me. Or another way to study is just, if you want to study on your own, get a, a blank sheet of paper, read a passage, and then just write down every observation you can make about it and sit back and read it to yourself, and you, you'll be surprised what you learn. So there's hearing the Word, there's reading the Word, there's studying the Word. You could memorize the Word. You ever memorize some Bible verses? It's, it's not as hard as you think. And then an important one is meditating on the Word. What does that mean? I, I, I would say it's this. When you've, when you've read the Word, you've heard it, you've studied it, maybe you've memorized it, and you have to walk to the train, instead of putting in the, the earbuds and listening to something, you just, instead you think about that one verse, and you kind of toss it over in your mind. And as you do this, you just find God Himself speaking to you. So having these disciplines in your life, you could say these are, these are kind of the spoons with which you feed yourself, and you taste it, and you feast on the Word. So if your pastor or your parents or your friends ever ask you, are you reading the Bible? Are you going to church? Are you studying the Word? Now, it may be that their intention is to send you on a guilt trip, all right? But I would encourage you not to receive it that way, to hear them 
inviting you to a feast. You see, whenever we feast on the Word, we don't dine alone. There's always, there's always an extra chair at the table. It's where God sits. And he meets with us. And so I challenge you. I just, or I plead with you. Won't you feast with him? Let's pray together. We thank you for your word. We ask you for two things. I ask you to give us diligence to begin to bring it into our lives. And I ask you for grace that your Holy Spirit would meet with us, speak to us through the word for the glory of Christ. Amen.